G'day everyone and welcome back to the Talking Leadership Podcast Series. Today I'm taking a slight detour but one that I think is necessary if we're going to understand this thing called leadership and it's definitely going to take a social science slash behavioral science perspective. So my guest today brings 30 years of experience in the public sector in New South Wales and also is in her own right a business owner working for Bright Research and Insights as a behavioral scientist. Can I welcome to the podcast Susan Broomhall. How are you? Man. Hello, thank you so much. I'm very well. And yourself? I'm not doing too bad. So thank you for joining us. So let's let's start it at first principles here. So can you give the listeners a bit of a sense as to what your views are around leadership from your perspective? And then we'll get into the question specifically once we kick off with that, Matt. Sure. Well, when we're talking about what I think leadership is as such, I'm looking at it from the perspective of a behavioural scientist. And uh, the perspective of a behavioural scientist is basically looking at human behaviour. So when we're looking at human behaviour, we're looking at things like how people behave, how they interact, you know, the social psychology of things, how people are thinking and making choices, and uh, really especially the dynamics of relationships. So, And then when we're talking about behavioural science and insights, it ends up being more of a case of I ask more questions than I answer to start with because basically when you say, you know, what is leadership, to me the first thing that comes to, to mind is why are you asking? What are you going to do with that information? I mean, who's your audience? Who, who's included in that in that uh, you know cohort of of um, research questions? Are we looking at what types of leadership are we looking at? What are you going to do with that information? I could I could end up you know giving you a thousand questions for your very one question of what's your impression of leadership. I have to say, linking what what you've just said then about where does the definition or where does the motivation for a definition come from? That's an interesting perspective on the topic. Does leadership evolve over time, or do you really really engage with the leadership process with a core set of capabilities and skill sets and assumptions and knowledge, and you sort of adapt as you go, or can it fundamentally change over time? And I've never asked anyone that, and I think, um, and no disrespect to those of us who are sort of at the end of careers is, well, if you've worked in an industry, you've worked for 30, 40, 50 years, did anything change if you were in a leadership role over that time? And if so, what was that? Is that that that's how I kind of linked it to. Again, I'm not bringing a uh, behavioral science perspective per se, but I think the link that you've made there is quite an interesting one for someone like me. Like I've said this before, I'm a curious fellow and I, I want to know more. So just it, in my mind, it tends to generate more questions and sometimes I get answers to. I think uh, what you're talking about when you're talking about, you know, um, is leadership changing and et cetera, et cetera, you're really starting to talk about social science. You're talking about sociology. And um, again, I'm going to throw it back to, you know, it really becomes a case of what, what are you defining as leadership? And in my uh, research and my observations, and I'm not a sociologist, I am a social scientist, I'm not a sociologist. In my observation of uh, this concept of leadership, it's not so much what, what we perceivers has changed or, or um, how we how leaders uh, you know interact etc uh, I think the narrative of leadership is, is has been evolving has been changing and what I've actually felt I've, I've noticed is that we have devolved our understanding of what leadership is into more of a, a concept of it's a 
role description. And it's a, we, we assume the leadership role is the leader of a hierarchical pyramid structure. And where this becomes, starts to become really interesting from a human behavior perspective is actually not so much whether or not, you know, is that person fulfilling the role description of that apex leader of the hierarchy, but really that, again, going back to the dynamics of the interaction of the relationship of the people that are following. Now, a lot of the discussions that we have, we're always talking about leadership. And in my mind, I don't really hear much about followers. And uh, again, to you know, if we're talking about definition of leadership, a definition of a leader would be that there's somebody following. And now within a hierarchical structure, the psychology component becomes what choice does the follower have in following? So if we're talking about, you know, uh, a CEO of a company, you know, that's a leader of the of that company. What choice does the the follower have in the instruction? And when, this is where we start to, you know, define out the different types of leadership style. And if you do a quick search on, you know, leadership styles or leadership types, you have things like autocratic and bureaucratic and strategic and transformational, etc. And it's very much focused on, you know, what the leader is doing and what the leader is thinking and how the leader is behaving. But we're not really considering, um, you know, is there choice for followers? What, what choices do the followers have? Is it if it's an autocratic or a bureaucratic organizational structure and the leader is autocratic, the, the follower is, you know, their decision making is potentially mute. So it, it's, uh, you know, do we still call that the same sort of leadership? that we would call a transformational leader. And then within that same structure, another component of that is that impact to the follower and, you know, the purpose then of that that leadership. So, you know, what has changed over time is not so much, you know, the leadership per se, but potentially the perspectives of the followers and the interaction of those followers, the needs, I guess, of the followers. So we're always talking about leaders, but, you know, when we're talking about a a bureaucratic system, how much of that bureaucratic system is actually listening to the followers and how much impact do the followers have to that? What I've noticed over time is that we've we've moved towards more of that bureaucratic, autocratic, dictatorial kind of, of leadership style and the narrative is being controlled by those leaders and there's sort of like a celebrity status around, you know, how effective am I as a, as a leader? And I don't really necessarily hear a lot of uh, voice from followers saying, you know what, this is what I would like. I mean, we don't even ask followers, would you like a leader? <laughs> I've actually never heard that. We, we just keep talking about, you know, different types of leaders. But I've never heard that question to, to any anyone who's not a leader, a non-leader, saying, would you like a leader? What type of leader would you like? And and um, another thing that I, I think has is, is been changing over time is when we're talking about leadership, we keep talking about, you know, it's, it, it seems like it, we're talking about the, an increased effectiveness of leadership style, but we're not quite sure about what that, you know, how we measure effectiveness. Now, we're, that's again, that's another behavioral science thing when we're talking about measuring uh, social outcome or outcomes measures. There's an incredible lack of that when we're talking about qualitative uh, topics such as effectiveness of leadership. We don't have a definition of what we want for leadership. And then we don't have, you know, a voice from followers to say if this is meeting their needs or not, where we're really um, flexible and ambiguous as to, you know, these transitory roles of leaders as well. I think that we we lack that capacity to understand that leadership actually is predominantly transitory 
It depends on your context at a particular time in, in your priority in time. And so there's so many agile pieces of leadership. I think we just continue to clump it all together because it becomes way too hard to understand leadership in all its complexity. We lump it all together. And at the end of the day, it becomes a, a, a leader that is currently in a leadership role saying that they're a leader and it's pretty much just an apex leader of a hierarchical structure. So the question then becomes, is that what we want? It would be interesting to see if an organization, and I'm, I'm sure I'm sure these exist, that if you had a truly flat structure where there was no hierarchy, it was a truly flat organization with one person as the titular general manager, COO, whatever you want to call that person, executive officer, um, amongst those working in that flat structure, then potentially teams form or teams need to be formed to get things done. And when you talk about those dynamics, would a leader naturally evolve from that team to get the task done or at least coordinate? And then in, in my mind, then is that person really doing leadership or doing a coordinating role? And that's more a managerial function about command control, get things done, get the process done, where leadership as a, as a process, and if you've mentioned this, and I think it, it goes through your your previous response there that there's a process of leadership there but there's also the this idea you know, of it being situational or moving as the environment needs it to move and it's complicated it's the the more i the more i have these discussions the more it, it really is cemented in my own thinking that there is no simple analysis when it comes to leadership and as much as i've tried to map it in diagrams and see how the links go as you start linking more and more things there's more things that could be added or maybe should be added or are debatable and um it sort of blew something away in my mind and some of my thinking uh, before I started to do my own studies in this area that why hasn't someone come up with a grand theory of leadership that just addresses all of the problems and it's it's never going to happen. Exactly. And, right. and, it's and never going to happen. No, no. And I think that you've given the reason that it's because we have... Um, set up a process, a leadership process that is complicated by nature and will evolve and is different in different contexts. So a leader in, say, the oil and gas industry will be very different to a leader in the agriculture sector by the nature of what they do. Susan, you mentioned as we were talking about how do you measure the, how do you get to an outcome measure or, or in my mind, in the circles that I'm running and the people that I'm talking to, that there seems to be a lot of money expended on developing leadership leaders and developing their skill sets, whatever those might be for a particular cohort. My question is, what then do we do about measuring what has any change has any change occurred, sorry, from a baseline? What is the baseline we've worked off? And did the intervention or interventions have an effect? If I had the dollars to spend to develop my people, I really want to know what am I trying to develop and to what end and what's my return on that investment? And that that sounds like a crass measure, but you know, the, the public sector pumps millions of dollars to develop people across all levels of government the, is the public getting bang for buck in those processes and that this isn't to denigrate those providing that leadership training it's not to denigrate those that are undertaking i think any training is good training lifelong learning i'm a big supporter of that but if somebody asked that very dicey question how do you measure if it worked we don't do that well can you can you give can you shed some light why that is the case Susan? for the 30 years that i did spend in government the 
majority of that time was on outcomes measures, performance measures. And uh, what I've noticed in, it's just a societal thing. This is just a humanity thing. We, we're very comfortable with quantitative figures, uh, you know, we, we and, you know, with this hierarchical structure, we're profit uh, driven and it's really easy to to measure things in terms of dollars is really easy it's it's just because we've done it forever in a day and it's really easy to do that what we are not good at at all is exactly the the social impact the the um outcomes measures and I think in a sense it comes down but apart from the fact that it's qualitative so there's really it's not a case of you know counting the number of dollars for instance it's qualitative and coming up with qualitative measures is a real skill set which I think we have never really developed we've got a concept that we need to have those outcomes measures capabilities but we've never really trained people or or facilitated that sort of development in people you know even just in data I, I live and breathe data and the number of people that um, understand data is actually quite small there's the, we've got statisticians statisticians is, is easy that's again just counting numbers but with data if you don't have the right information to start with doesn't matter how well your statistician is working the numbers are wrong to you know to, to work with it that's the same sort of concept when we're talking about social impact measures and I guess when we're talking about things like the social impact of leadership one of the the, the failures is that again we keep referring back to these people who who claim themselves to be in that space because we're talking that you know they've been studying it and they've been creating um, programs about leadership and, and you know their outcomes measures are how many people that they can get on board for their leadership programs but the but when we're talking about measuring outcome you need to understand what is the outcome that it is that you're actually looking to achieve and that is a qualitative count and it you know saying count is actually probably the wrong word too but when we're talking about out social outcomes we're talking about improvement in well-being you know so if we're looking to measure something like the the uh, effectiveness of leadership first and foremost we have to define what was the purpose of that leadership and you know what were we expecting that leader to have as an outcome so that's really easy when we're talking about hey if it's a you know a, a, finan a financial institution the leader is there very uh, specifically to direct the company to create profits really easy at the end of the month you pull out your key performance indicators and you and you measure and for whatever that was happening in that month we can attribute that you know the, the leader has now affected the the dollar line very easy. What we need to be doing, if we're talking about social impact, is flip that away from the whole dollars stuff and say, okay, well, we've got this leader and this leader is supposed to be doing what now? Okay, well, this leader is supposed to be, hmm, I don't know, let's, let's just take anything. Educating their employees on how better to, I don't know, have customer service. Right, so you know the staff need to be better better at customer service. So then the the you know you need to think about where's the the bottom line impact. So you'll be measuring you know the effectiveness of the leader in one way, but the social impact ends up being the customer. To start to develop out the effectiveness of whether or not there's been a change, you actually have to go straight to the customer first, which has got nothing to do with the leaders or even the people that are being trained. It's got to do with the, the flow-on effect, the bottom, the you know, the bottom rung, again, going all the way down to that hierarchy when you're talking about the lower echelons. Talk, talk to the customers and asking them, for instance, what's what's lacking? Is, is customer service good or not good? Why isn't it good? And then developing from the bottom up not from the top down 
And then the trick becomes, you know, measuring things like sentiment and satisfaction and well-being. These are not quantitative numbers. These are sentiments. Again, an additional trick is that when you're talking about researching these things, there's a, a distinct level of independence that's required from the person who's actually evaluating and assessing the effectiveness. Now, this is what we, again, completely lack in any of our improvement programs, any of the things that we're trying to achieve, you know, in, a, in an outcomes situation is that the person who is invested in making sure that there is an, a positive, how do I say this, like if the leader is looking to improve their leadership style, for the leader then to say, all right, I'm going to see whether or not I've, I've done what I was supposed to do. If they're the ones who are commissioning the research, the research will be biased. That's it. So you need an independent behavioral scientist to develop qualitative outcomes measures to independently advise whether or not there actually has been a change in whatever it was that you wanted to put that intervention in. So now have has that leader effectively trained the, their staff to improve customer service? It's completely multi-layered and it, it's not you know a survey that you post out to your, your couple of people on your email list or asking your other leaders did I do a good job or even self-rated there's so many self-rated leaders going around saying yep I did a great job I was as a behavioral scientist like to say yes where's the data where's the, where's the research where's that proof where's the measure that you've actually now achieved what, what it was that you intended to to develop and there's so many reasons why we just don't have that that those outcomes measures. And, and I, I think one of those is um, the fact that we've just never fostered that sort of development, that skill set in people. And that might very well be because of ignorance. It might be because we don't understand the value. It's way too complicated. Or it just might be because leaders don't want <laughs> the truth to come out and say, well, you're not achieving what it is that you want to be achieving. And a behavioral scientist, for instance, may turn around and say, actually, you completely failed because a behavioral scientist is a scientist and is independent in their, if they're doing things properly, will be independent in, in their assessment and, and evaluation of circumstances. It's definitely complicated. I, I think the lack of that happening, I think, is an offshoot of many things myself. This is, this is a personal view. I think it's more for me, that yes, I can agree that it's just not being considered very much. Organizations want r rapid um, interventions and don't want to lose people for lengths of time. If let's say it was Susan who's going to make the decision about whether Eric gets 20 grand to go onto a, a course. Now, what Susan doesn't want to happen is that I do the course and I meet this independent scientific expert and they ask me some questions and then determine there may not have been a, a, an effect of the intervention here but there's also I think something to put in here and I think this is one that that I can understand up, up to some degree is that how um, how long do you wait after the intervention before you start assessing whether or not there's been an effect so if you have a baseline and let's say we were looking at three or four key leader capabilities that you sent me on some training to do to improve my improve my output on uh, under those capabilities um, I then do the training at what point 
post-training do you do that? And you can imagine if you're putting multiple people, so Susan's paying for multiple people in the company, including me, to do some training, how much is it going to cost to get those assessments done down the track? So I think it's structural. I think it's cost. I think it's people aren't aware that this needs to be done yet. It, it just it just seems crazy that we're not evaluating in that way. And again, I'm not saying that it, Everyone that provides leadership intervention doesn't try and do that one way or another. But this this idea about having a few degrees of separation from the person running that analysis about whether it worked or not is needed for transparency, I would have thought. And it, you know, if, if we're talking about a process here, then that is is quite um is quite an, it's not it's not an unreasonable thing to ask. And and you bring up the the idea and this is something i hadn't considered that trying to measure these things is a bugbear across lots of industry sectors because it's really difficult to do but we're not investing i i don't think the time required to get those processes better and i, I think i think there's other reasons for that but not 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 something i'm going to get too into the weeds here now but enough to say i think it's it's worth having this conversation because it does have implications for better leadership in the future so from your perspective susan and i'll, I'll put this as a two Parter, if I can, do you have some sense of what are key leader capabilities? If capabilities is something that you are, are, are okay to talk on, I guess if you look at leader capabilities in that way. And then, secondly, is there any core leader capabilities that you believe are essential? Yeah, um, it's really interesting. I could probably want to answer that in the in the. Um, uh, to follow up the the comments that you've been making beforehand about that, you know, when do you want to measure inter, uh, intervention and effectiveness? And definitely, when I'm talking about um, behavioural research, that was uh, a constant problem with um, with everything that I did. Was uh, it was really hard to get people on board to to sort of like improve programs or interventions when there was a long, long, you know, uh, drag time before you can actually turn around and say that there's been a change. And I can keep going on and on and saying, no, well, well, you need that time. Research takes time. That's the only way that you can improve things. But that's really not uh, practical just in society. It's just not practical in any sense. And it is, uh, you know, financially and, and resource intensive. So one of the things that I was trying to work out, and it, it comes to this, you know, concept of what, what are sort of like key um, requirements then if we want to have some sort of an improvement on leadership is um, prob- probably um, co-creation. Co-creation and co-design of solution is something that means that both the, the leader and the follower uh, work together to be able to take on the risks so when it, with any intervention, obviously there's no silver bullet. You know, it, you put in an intervention hoping that it will improve the circumstances in some way or another. You know, you put these people on training or you, 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 know, you change something so that you're hopefully going to have some sort of an improvement. But there's no guarantee because it's, you haven't done it yet. Like that, that's the whole point of you leading something. You haven't done it yet. You're trying. You've got a, maybe some idea of, of what's going to happen, but you're trying it. So when you when a leader takes on something and says, I'm going to do this and, and expect this sort of outcome, and that doesn't happen, then that risk is all on the leader. But if you bring on board the, the follower and or the non-leader or whoever is being impacted by the leadership and you say, okay, well, if this is the problem, what would you think? Is the solution? What would you like? And we'll work together to develop. We'll work develop to work together to co-create that solution and direction. We'll work together to co-design it. 
as the leader, I will take on board the responsibility to ensure that it happens and it comes to this whole concept of being a coordinator more than a, a leader, I guess. But, you know, the, 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 the responsibility becomes shared. So, you know, what would a leader need? A leader would need to be able to listen first and foremost and really um, when we're talking about human beings um, we're, we're, we've got so many inherent uh, biases we you know even the best of us who think that you know no no we're doing things for the for you know the good of we still make mistakes because no matter who you are or how much you speak to stakeholders and other people you you can only walk in your own shoes so one of the concepts that is always niggled at me is this concept of the you know lead, uh, leading for the greater good and um logis- uh, logically this doesn't fit well when we're talking then about inclusion because if we're talking mathematically the greater good means the majority but not everybody so there's going to be one or two or a small percentage hopefully a very small percentage that is not included in the greater good <laughs> so now we've excluded someone so what happens to those excluded people? Do we just forfeit them and say, oh, well, you know, you can't win them all. We want to go for the greater good. You know, fit the greater good. So, you know, best of luck. So that sort of doesn't sit well with me. And we don't live in a perfect world. We can't um, have everything go our way all the time. So when I, whenever I've developed any strategies or um you know, uh, ways forward, solutions, et cetera, out of a problem, I look for that win-win. And that win-win is something that I would like to see more leaders pick up, that discussion where, okay, there, there needs to be collaboration, uh, cooperation, co-creation, co-design. And the leader, all the leader is really doing then is the, the leading part becomes taking on that responsibility and that capability to be able to make sure that we, you know, we head in that direction. And when we're talking then about evaluation and assessment, we don't need to necessarily wait 10 years. I mean, there's a lot of things that we do need to wait you know, for the future to see if has this has this worked or not worked, but to be agile and dynamic and to be able to pivot in in situations of utter disruption requires that you're actually evaluating at the exact same time that you're developing and designing and co-creating. You know, today we say, oh, we're going to do this. And tomorrow we go, oh my God, it didn't work. Why didn't it work? Well, because such and such wasn't wasn't included in that and it didn't look at this perspective. Okay, let's the leader then says, okay, how do we address this? And that's when we start to develop up the win-win, the co-creation, everyone's included. It's not always going to be perfect, but neither is life. And I think that's what we we should be looking at. If we want to look look at, you know, what we want in our leaders, we want leaders who embody that capability, the the capability to co-create to step down from the top and to work with others even that one percent who's you know not not included in the greater good for them for the leader to say okay well how how are you not being addressed in this situation and how can we now create some sort of a solution that doesn't detract from that greater good but does address the needs of you as well what we're looking towards is a, a leader who actually can create harmony and at the moment we have a dualistic society and a dualistic community and we don't have enough leaders who are able to embrace that that win-win harmony ideology the way forward i think is just recognizing that it's an issue and then allowing and Mm -hmm. i I use 
the marketplace, the world of work to uh, help come on board. I guess you need people to champion what it is that you're talking about, yet I would hazard a guess that we're not the first two to be thinking about this and <laughs> still nothing changes. And I guess um, as organisations are driven uh, in, in, the, in that for-profit space to make money, then time and people away from work and people not using their talents within the business is a risk to someone who's invested in that business. And so I, I, I'm not sure how much you can escape from it. And you touched on this a couple of times, the idea of the structure of organizations that they're typically hierarchical, that that is just the way that we do our business at the moment. I think it's the the interesting question for me as, uh, as an observer of what hopefully good leadership process is going to look like into the future that a couple of key questions come to mind to what extent does your environment shape the way that you're a leader and to what way in what way sorry do leaders shape the the environment to suit them and if you've got someone that wants to co-create wants to flatten the structure they will do what they need to do to get to achieve that but in some industries it's not possible i'll give you a classic example and what i think this would work is um, in the military so the military has ranks and hierarchy for very specific reasons and i think in some uh, operational senses a flat structure would not work at all yet the way that they train officers at different levels if somebody gets injured or killed the next person steps up and is equipped to deal with it because that's the way they train look i, I can't escape the idea and get your, get your views on this when I ask you the, this final question, if I could. It's a difficult, leadership is a difficult process. I, I don't think anyone can escape that. I don't think it's an easy thing to do. I, 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 I truly believe that it can be learned. There's processes that can upskill people. And But I also believe in the in that nature-nurture duality. I think some people are born with some skill set that, that are more developed than others. And in the right circumstance, they will rise to the top and then go away or they'll continue to develop that skill set. So what I have been hearing and talking to people about is around two capabilities that I think are going to be the markers for what more effective leadership is going to look like in the future. And they may not, you may not agree with me, but I'm, I'm hoping we'll, we can talk out if there is a disagreement, because that's the point of the discussion is ability to deal with change and understand what change means is the first one. And the second one is becoming more tolerant of ambiguity. So there might top two and i think based on this discussion i would chuck in a third one and that is self-reflective practitioners in the leadership space so to what degree do you self-review what it is that you're doing to make you better at the leadership game but i would add to that um a slight not not going off track here but i think it's um it's one thing to be self-reflective it's also to what extent do you seek feedback to help you with your reflective process so they're my three that I think are critical. What's, what's your view of that, Susan? I think what you're saying when, when you're talking about the, um, the ability to change and the ability to deal with ambiguity, I don't necessarily see that as um, a leadership requirement. I think as human beings, uh, for our own mental health, we all need to be able to do that. I mean, nobody deals very well with, you know, um, refusing to change. When we have these disruptive circumstances saying, oh, I'm not going to change to it, doesn't help. Doesn't help your, your well-being in any in any way, shape or form. As to whether or not that makes you a more effective leader, I think it just makes you a more effective human being. And likewise, in regards to the self-reflection, when we're talking about self-reflection, it's a self-reflection of, of what you're doing, what the impact that you're having anywhere 
I mean, we, uh, your discussion has tended to towards, you know, um, workplace uh, leadership. I see things as, as you know, twenty four seven being a human being uh, situation. So, you know, leadership to me, you can have leadership outside of a workplace, and likewise, you can then have that self reflection outside of a workplace and outside of a leadership and outside of being a non-follower too. So, you know, it comes to that situation where, like, as I said, if you're in a, in a, um, a hierarchy with an apex leader that's telling you that this is the direction, as a non-follower, you can self-reflect to see whether or not that instruction is working to your benefit or not and then how what you want to do about that. And I think it's that part that we're sort of like missing when it comes to the dynamics between leadership and and followers and I guess when it comes to improvements in that dynamic is because because I inherently I think that's what you're looking at is an improvement in the dynamic of the relationship of of leaders and what they're leading whatever that is that they're leading if it's a company or if it's staff or if it's society or a community or a, a group whatever it is when we're talking about leadership we're looking at you know how can you improve that that role for the benefit then of the followers so uh, we, I, I don't like that we keep talking about followers as as a, a passive component to this this uh, dynamic I think that we what we want to be doing is um, empowering leaders to be able to have a be- better capability of being able to hear uh, hear the needs of of others if that's what it is that leaders want to do um you know that they they want to be more effective in in leading and it becomes a you know a persuasion and an influencing obviously no matter in what context you're in if you want to be creating profits you want to be influencing and and um motivating people to be able to increase the profits so how do you do that and that yeah definitely you'll be uh, able to change with circumstances you have to deal with the ambiguity of disruption and, and circumstances as they come up you have to self-reflect on the choices and decisions that you're making but I mean that doesn't necessarily mean that you're only doing that because you're a leader you need to be doing that as a human being following and and when you're not when you're not happy with that leadership yeah you have to speak up it's not a case of whether or not leaders want to hear it or not because if they don't want to hear it and they suck at doing what they're doing well the proof will be in the pudding people will stop following you know the direction will not be met the outcome will not be reached it's all well and good for leaders to turn around and say well I'm, I'm an effective leader and I don't really want to hear it when people are saying I'm not well okay sensational but it really just means that you're deflecting back to your role description of you know the the head of whatever organization that you're talking about and that becomes that 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 you know what is the the definition of leadership so for me leadership is not a role description leadership is that you've got people who are following and they're following because they want to follow not because they're told to follow so what bolsters that sort of concept of of you know um creating um somebody who who is followed and you did mention personalities and i haven't mentioned this and it it is actually very critical because personality type and this is a social psychology um concept personality personality types absolutely feed into leadership you do not have leaders by accident you have pioneers you have innovators you have creatives you have whatever that come up with with something that inspires people to want to follow and that doesn't happen 
because you you know it, by accident you have a particular personality type and predominantly in our in our society at the moment the leaders that we have in prominent positions have a very very distinctive personality type and those are very driven and they are very um dominant and they are very um uh, outspoken you don't have quiet people in, the, in you know sitting down saying i'm the leader i want to improve how i'm a leader you don't you have you have people who are driven if that's the personality type that is now the apex leader of a of an organization or a structure then it's very probable possible that 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 personality type is also less likely to listen to criticism or listen to uh, somebody saying, actually, I don't like what you're doing. That you know, feeds into what is the purpose of the leadership? What is the impact that you're having on the on the followers, et cetera, et cetera. And again, one of these reasons why we have always keep coming back to these discussions about leadership. The personality type very much is a, a critical component of our current leadership structure. And again, it comes back to, is this what we want? Is this what we want as a society? Um, you know, at the moment, this is how the structure is set up. And the structure is set up, remember, by leaders. So these dominant, out, outspoken, confident people who are heading to organisational structures are also creating the processes and structures by which those systems continue to develop, which is why we continue to perpetuate this. I, I think I've gone around in circles. Just to answer no, 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 no. <laughs> this, this, this is great. Um, it, it, more, more questions and answers are definitely <laughs> in my head. But yeah, so I'll, I'll, just to correct the record, I guess, in, in response to what you've just said, when I mentioned the three, those three capability areas that I mentioned, wasn't necessarily excluding them from non-leadership roles. I guess for me, as some as someone who's looking at leadership, in some sense, there's a couple of degrees removed and being a leader myself and watching others and how they do what they do. My personal view is, yeah, we all have to be good at dealing with change, but most people aren't. We all have to deal with ambiguity, but most people aren't very tolerant of it because of the nature of, of what humans are and this ability to self-reflect. Yeah, I think that's an ongoing thing for anyone, irrespective of leadership roles. I guess I'm catching it in an example using the workplace, but the workplace isn't always for profit and the workplace can be volunteering. It can be a um, something that an entrepreneur sets up to do a social good business something to give back to the community so yeah i, I think I, I just for the record i'm not just talking about in the workplace i think yeah good human beings should be aware of all of these things but we're not always and a lot of good people become leaders and don't develop these things and i think embedded in everything that i mentioned is an ability to listen and to talk less and to listen more to try and get at what's going on. Now, one thing um, you've thrown up that is very interesting to me is what is the followership dimension in organizations, in, in the not-for-profit space, in the non-work space? How do followers interact with those that are leading? And in the example that I use here, and I use the business environment as one of many examples, people choose to be in organizations or they choose not to be. And I think if you've gone through a process of recruitment and selection and you're in there, 
then I think there are a massive amounts of expectations that you should have about the leaders that you're working with, that you're not going to be treated in certain um, disgusting ways and that you, you're in a professional work setting. But you also make that decision that as soon as you think the place you've applied for and are working in is no good, you have an out, you can go. Now, that's easy to say, but if you've got familiar responsibilities, you need to earn an income, makes that decision a lot more difficult. And yeah, I can then understand why you mention at the end there that if the systems continue to perpetuate themselves, nothing really changes. But if you're talking at that societal level, this makes the conversation a lot bigger than just the workplace. So I, I, I get that completely. <laughs> get get it, get it completely. Get it completely. Susan, this was an amazing discussion. We'll keep in touch and, and keep talking more around this, particularly some other leadership areas that I know that you have a, a lot of skills in. So just before we go and as a way to let my listeners know what you're doing, what are you doing at the moment with Bright Research and Insights? And you do have something you'd like to share around some work you've done on a book. So I'll, I'll hand over to you and uh, let you um, plug away what you're doing, mate. Oh, excellent. Thank you so much. Actually, yes, I did say I was in the public service for um, 30 years, but since then I've actually um, published a book, Bullying and Harassment, Understanding the Psychological and Behavioural Tactics of the Toxic Leadership Stronghold. So that looks into a um, an exploration of how uh, toxic leaders run systems uh, with the premise that um, bullying and harassment is a strategy that's being used to develop up um, toxic structures and toxic processes that keep them in power and the book goes into the psychology and the behaviors that um, they can employ in, in doing that it goes into about 76 different tactics that they employ to do that it looks at all sorts of way, ways in which uh, toxic leaders uh, circumnavigate legislation and policy to uh, avert being um, detected and to be held accountable so um, that's what I've done. <laughs> uh, thank you for that. So how can we get people to get a copy of what it is that you've written? What What's the best way to do this? I, I can put some links up in the podcast description. Yeah, yeah that'll be great. I'll give you a, a link to to um the, the book title and where they can get it. Well, Susan, thank you for your time, mate. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. This has been great. Look, we will keep the discussion going. And for those that are listening, this has been Talking Leadership. Thank you for your time and we'll catch everyone on the next podcast.